Hey, listeners, Frank here. Our first throwback episode for February is on Jim Henson's The Dark Crystal, while our last new episode about the stop-motion animator and special effects artist Phil Tippett's Mad God, I felt re-releasing our discussion about the puppeteer Jim Henson's magnum opus would be fitting. While this is a short episode, we do dive into a discussion about the hero's journey, which The Dark Crystal is the perfect example of. Keep in mind, John and I aren't experts, and most of the conversation comes from theater and literature classes and our own study. If we miss anything or are completely off the mark, please shoot us a message and let us know. This episode originally released October 10th, 2019, and it was the first half of our look at The Dark Crystal, which includes the next throwback episode about the Netflix series. Enjoy! Welcome to another episode of Relevant to Our Interests. I'm Frank, and with me as usual is... I don't even know what the fuck you're doing, dude. What the actual fuck was that? Oh, you're trying to be the Chamberlain. I see. Yeah, don't knock that shit off. <laughs> I do what I want, Frank. Get on my supervisor. You, you simpering fool. I hate your whimpering. <laughs> yes. He's silent. Yes. I have struck him to silence. Yes. That makes mm. him sad. Yes. Anyway, today we are doing, <laughs> we are going to be talking about The Dark Crystal. Dun, dun, dun! We're talking about the film, The Dark Crystal, not the series that uh, has appeared on Netflix. We're actually going to be doing that next time. So, yes. But this week we are talking about... The Dark Crystal, the film, and the method of its plotting, the hero's journey. And oh. John and I are going to talk about... Hero's journey! The hero's journey. Caveat, before we get into it, I am not an expert on the hero's journey. I know what it is. Uh, I'm familiar with it. <clears throat> I've read parts of uh, Hero of a Thousand Faces, so I years ago, uh, I am somewhat familiar with it. It comes up a lot in film analysis <laughs> at times. John, I think you've actually taken a class or two on the on the hero's journey, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, that's actually why I have such disdain for it. Yeah, so John's a more of an expert than I am. But uh, that being but I've said, we have more than he knows, so it works out. Yeah. Wait. All right. But anyway, before we get into the hero's journey, real quick overview of the plot of the Dark Crystal, the movie, the film from 1982, produced and directed by Jim Henson and Frank Oz. So, we're in a, the magical land of... God, what, what's the name of the land of... <laughs> um, magical land of adjacent to Muppetdom. It's not called adjacent to Muppetdom. Yeah. Well, we could, <laughs> I could pop in the movie and watch the first little bit because the narrator says it pretty clearly. Yeah, you could, but let us I'm not going to wait for that. So, in a magical land far away from Earth, Jen, a Gelfling, is tasked by a Dedian mystic who raised him to find a crystal shard from the Dark Crystal. A giant crystal kept and used by the evil Skeksis to suck away the life essence out of creatures to replenish their own. And he's to return this shard to the Dark Crystal and restore it. He starts off his journey, he finds the shard, and the old witch Agra's orrery. He escapes the deadly Gartham that are sent to uh, stop him 
and prevent him from finding it and, and sort of destroy Agra's Ori. And it's called Thra. While, Thra. Called Thra. In the world of Thra, John used his Google Foo to find it. Yes, in that I asked Google and said, hey, what's the name of the land from the Dark Crystal? <laughs> Only I misspelled, like, everything, and so it's a fucking miracle that Google pulled up anything coherent. <laughs> it's true. After he escapes from Agra's Ori, he meets another Gelfling named Kira. They continue on their journey and discover an old prophecy that has been painted on in some old Gelfling ruins that pretend to what they are doing. They finally make it to the castle of the Skeksis, of the Dark Crystal, where Kira is captured and almost has her life essence drained by the scientist Skeksis. But she, with the encouragement of Agra, who just goes to the Crystal Castle, actually, no, she's captured by the, by the, uh, whatchamacallit? The Dutch? The Gartham. She's captured by the Gartham and, and taken and taken there. But with but she's put in a cage uh, hey, and she I am I'm gonna get slightly political here. I believe that there is no there's no technical difference between the Gartham and the Dutch. Pol- politics over. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if there if there's any Dutch listeners out there, I apologize for John and his attitude. I also apo- I also people. apologize for me. But <laughs> seriously, look at the Gartham. They are badass. You should take that as the compliment. I probably intended it as. I want to. I want to put a pin. I want to put a pin in that because I'm going to come back to how badass the Gartham are. Okay. Anyway, so with Agra's encouragement, Kira calls uses her ability to talk to the animals to basically get them to stop the scientists from sucking away her life essence. Her and Jen are reunited in the throne room. Jen jumps onto the car, dark, onto the crystal, loses his grip on the shard, but Kira grabs it, throws it back, but she's stabbed by one of the Skeksis. Jen catches the crystal, stabs it into the big crystal, the dark crystal, and then the Skeksis and the Mystics combine to become a whole godlike beings named the Ursex. And they tell Jen about cracking the crystal, and then they heal Kira's wounds, and they fly away leaving the two Gefflings to repopulate the planet Thra with an incredibly shallow genetic pool, unless there's other Gefflings oh, hiding yeah. away, which it doesn't... The movie itself does not indicate that as a, as a thing. It's, just, it's basically those two. So <laughs> there's going to be some... Uh, it's going to be some mad mutations here in a few generations. There's, uh, um, yes? Uh, there's there's, there's going to be some flipper babies. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so the, anyway, the, the the characters are pretty straightforward. There's not a there's there's a lot of characters, but there's not really a lot of characters in this. Um, the Skeksis are all pretty one note, except for the the Emperor who dies right off the bat. The Chamberlain, who is kind of the main Skeksis, you see, uh, and I don't I didn't go through the plot line where he's he loses the you know battle to to gain the throne and is thrown out. Um, but he does, and that he meets Jen and Kira along the way and tries to offer them a truce. He actually captures them, and that's why she ends up in prison. I skimmed over that. There's a scientist who who actually sucks the life essence out, and there's a Gartham master who wins the battle against the Chamberlain and actually becomes the new emperor. But <clears throat> the rest well, of them are... Their, their battle is, is weird because it's like they just hit a rock. Yeah. <laughs> Whoever does the most damage to the rock wins the battle. Yeah. And, these are uh, weird. Gar- the Gartham master severs the top of the rock, so he wins because, because hey, of course he does. He did the most damage. 
But on the on the mystic side, uh, who are also called the Uru, uh, there's only one that really has any sort of significance, and that's the Master, who basically tells Jen to go on his quest. Yeah, um, they're the rest. The rest are pretty interchangeable. Like you, you can see how they correspond, because when something happens to Askexi, then it happens to the the Uru. But and and there's there's also something to be said for the are you seeing some um some sort of visual parallels some little very it's very subtle but there are some very subtle clues about yeah. who aligns with what yeah but it's pretty and and then 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 it's just Jen and Kira like there there's podlings you encounter um there's Agra who's also a big part of it but. That's that's really it. <laughs> like as far as the the story goes, that those are the ones who are really important. They could have, they didn't necessarily need all the others, <laughs> except to 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 propel the story and make the world feel a little more lived in than it was. That being said, uh, if you haven't seen this film or if you haven't seen the the prequel series on Netflix, uh, it's all puppetry. Everything's done with puppets. Uh, some of it's full body puppet suits. Like those long strider things that they ride, and the Gartham, but everything's everything's puppetry. There's only a couple shots where there's like a full figure in frame, and it's a a person of smaller stature, basically from a distance, either running as Jen or Kira. You don't really see their facial features defined at all, but that in of itself is pretty damn cool. John, do you have anything to add before we move on to? Uh, the hero, what the hero's journey is, really, really briefly, and uh, um, then our I criticisms have, of it. I have, well, I have, I have some some thoughts on um on you know like just on, on the Dark Crystal in general. Um, one, there's uh, one minor critique I think of the actual film itself is okay. At times, it gets a little indulgent. Um, like the the yeah. puppetry is all amazing it just is yes. astounding it's unlike anything that you would have seen before but there comes a point where whole scenes are devoted entirely just to showing off the puppets and it's also interesting to see how the film has aged because the narrator dictating everything is a convention that we definitely don't use anymore <laughs> and if we do we don't use it in that way no it's it's more comedic now yeah, well, it's it's either comedic or it's like or it's like proving an unreliable narrator. Yeah, it's uh, the movie does have its problems, but it's an older film. I mean, it's oh God, it's almost forty years old. I mean, we're only so. I mean, it's 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 been around a long time. In some ways, it. I mean, this might be nostalgia talking, but in some ways, I think it, it holds up in a different way because it has sort of that magical feeling to it because it's not a style. I sort of feel that towards it like I do like stop motion films. Um, I love that style. I love how almost otherworldly they are. And this movie has that quality to it. Uh, something because of the use of Muppets. But I'll get into that in a little bit. Oh, but but I do want to go back to that pin I put in the Garthams. Garthams are not badass, dude. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry. You, you, you go down a narrow cave, you've effectively uh, stopped them. <laughs> well... <laughs> The other thing is that we're seeing that we're seeing them uh, from the limitations of the puppets, not what they have done within the lore. Well, I don't getting into the lore. I'm looking at the present, just the presentation from the film. That's it. So yeah, well, it, in in that film, they talk about how the Gartham killed off all of the Gelfling. That's from the movie. 
No, and I get that. And I all I can think is the poor Gefflings. They should have just gone into a smaller cave. <laughs> That's <sighs> but <laughs> Yes, because you know, like the big big powerful claws can't do anything like, you know, make doors bigger. Hey, I'm I'm just saying, I see the Gelfling I see the Gartham as I I, I I found the I've actually found I always found the the Skeksis more threatening than the Gartham. That's just me. But <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. I didn't I did not find the Skeksis like I found them like weird looking and creepy looking. But I never found them intimidating until I, I saw the, the actual the, the series is what changed that. But I never. Yeah, well, um, that's outside. The yeah, yeah, this, yeah. I'm not. Yeah, but I'm not. I'm not going to say any more than that. But like the Skeksis. I mean, they're creepy looking, but that's about yeah. it. Like, the, but the, the Skeksis, one, you could push them over with a stiff, with a stiff breeze because they're all just so thin and spindly. Yeah. And then they're constantly fighting with each other. Whereas like with the, with the Gartham, they're sort of like these automatons. And for me, that sort of like automaton, like point you in a direction and, and destroy everything in its path. That's pretty yeah. goddamn intimidating to me. That's, that's true. By the by, anyway, so the hero's journey. Um, yeah, the hero's journey is was come up with by Joseph Campbell. Uh, it's a way to explain commonalities between cultural myths, primarily from like the Middle East and Europe and North Africa. But he, he stretched it out to all world myths. And he was coming primarily from a, from a place of of uh, the the Near East in Europe when he originally came up with it. I could be wrong, and if I am, go ahead and correct me, folks. Uh, if you feel like writing an email about it, I will fully admit that I am wrong. But basically his his thoughts on the common points that most myths have. Now, not all myths are going to have each point, And they've, there's other sociologists and folklorists and philosophers who've taken the hero's journey and sort of updated it and condensed things down and, and have sort of changed some of these points. This is the original, how, how Joseph Campbell came up with it. And so it's divided into three parts, which I guess you could call three acts. The first act is the departure. And the departure, you have the call to adventure. So the hero gets a mission, basically. Then there's a refusal of the call. He doesn't want to go on the mission. No, and there's good. meeting them. What's that? I said, no, I'm good. I was I was acting out the refusal. Yeah, you know, he was acting out the the hero. So, yeah. and there's a meeting of the mentor. Hey, dude, and, you're and old. That, yeah, and typically, uh, it's uh, an old person, <laughs> but they they'll generally you know provide the hero with some guidance, maybe give him something to help him on his it's mission. Your, it's your it's your Obi Wan. It's your Gandalfs. Yeah, uh, they don't always travel with the hero yeah uh, yeah <laughs> like obi-wan and gandalf did but yeah sometimes they're lazy and stay at home doing crack cocaine yeah then there's crossing the first threshold and this is basically where the hero actually sets off he's actually he's actually leaving his home going out to the world to go do his adventuring then there's the belly of the well and this is the last portion and basically this is representation of danger sort of the first thing that will sort of change the hero and harden him on his journey. Then that ends part one and part two begins, which is the initiation, which, uh, the world of trials, uh, which is trials and tribulations that the hero will encounter. Like, Oh shit, this is difficult. 
Yes. There are so like, many oh, rocks on this road, and they poke my feet, and I do not like it. Are <laughs> you know bandits? Are are oh goblins, no, there are bandits on this spiky road that pokes my feet, and I do not like it. And there's meeting with the goddess. Hey, goddess, want to walk down a road where the stones are pokey and hurt my feet? <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. And the meeting with the goddess, he's given other items that will help him that he doesn't know about. Then goddess is not necessarily a... always a woman. This is true. None of these this thi- is true. Because none of these things have like. None of these things have like hard definitions always. Well, and 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 the thing is, is not all of them show up either. Yeah. Uh, with within the the narrative, like this is like I guess the ideal myth would have each point. Because <laughs> uh, after the meeting with the goddess, is woman as a temptress. I think Joseph Candle may have initially been literal here. <laughs> he did write this in the 1930s, so. Uh, there was a very different mindset back then. Well, we'll, we'll talk about problems with it here at the end of all this. Basically, he's tempted by something, uh, physical, pleasurable, wealth. Something tempts the hero at this point. And then there's atonement with the father or atonement with the abyss. Basically, this is where the hero sort of confronts whatever it is he's going to confront. And if he's successful, then he has the apotheosis which leaves him with better perception, understanding of, of reality, of his situation. Because he done drugs. Yeah, and then drugs. Did all the drugs. drugs. Just a pile of drugs. Cocaine. Oh. Cocaine. Crack. Cocaine. And, uh, and the cocaine. And <laughs> LSD. Anyway, that's what the hero ends up with. Uh, then the ultimate boon. Actually, I think this would be the ultimate boon. The, the drugs would be the ultimate boon, which is basically achieving the quest. And then after that, there's a return. There's a refusal of the return. It's basically kind of parallels the the departure. The, the hero doesn't want to leave. He doesn't want to go back. Then there's a magical flight. Basically, he he flees. <laughs> he ends up leaving. There's actually thinking about one of the best examples of this is actually from the Kalevala, where uh, they still the the Pomar. I, I don't know if it's I'm pronouncing it right, and they flee back to uh, the land they're from. Thra. The re- rescue from without. Basically, the the hero gets some guides to help him get back. Then he's crossing the threshold again, and then he's the master of two worlds. So basically, he's he's the master of the world he came from and the, and the world he world. traveled to, and the special world he special traveled world. to. Yeah. And then the final one is freedom to live, which means he is no longer afraid of death. He can just live. Yeah, be 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 king or become a farmer or innkeeper or whatever whatever what whatever the whatever the dungeon master decides once the the, the yeah, like you retired yeah. so anyway sorry we we're not we're not doing justice to the, i mean because john and i don't want to probe into this i mean we could we could make an entire podcast series well, out of the yeah, journey the big thing is for me with the hero's journey is that Everybody already has like there's there are like this is basically a huge chunk of what your screenwriting any of your screenwriting um, stuff is going to be about a, a lot yeah. of the playwright stuff will go over this a lot of yeah. uh, the English de- like English departments have like a raging hard on for this and yes you know I've said it before that yes you can ham fist and pummel any story into the framework of the hero's journey. Yes, absolutely. But that does not make it a hero's journey. No. No, 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 but it's each character has their own hero's journey. Shut the fuck up. No. (laughs) (laughs) 
there are other pl- that, like not everyone is not everyone is a hero and not like the well everyone's the hero in their own story like that's no everybody just thinks they're not a dick like they just don't think they're the bad guy and that's different from being the hero it's just like yeah well, you're not the bad guy um but like but for me i think the thing that that made me that turned me from like oh hey this is this is really kind of cool i, I kind of like what this goes when we were talking about it in class and they talked about we were talking we ended up talking about like romantic comedies or something and yes. they said and they said in in this here like oh well you know the special world in the hero's journey the special world in this one is love and i nearly burned down everything in the world um <laughs> just i mean i wanted to glass the planet like it was just like that is so dumb <laughs> yeah so dumb like well it, it also like completely downplays the importance of the hero's journey which is that and, and what it comes from is there was a lot of great stories that followed this kind of framework yeah there's a lot and that that's how he got it but just because the just because a lot of what he considered great stories were hero's journeys does not mean that it is the mo- not it doesn't mean that the monomyth is 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 a profound is this profound everything's the monomyth you want to know what's a perfect yeah. example of the hero's journey happy fucking gilmore yeah <laughs> it's, i don't even have a point after that that's all i just <laughs> well no and 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 i agree with you i think the the monomyth is cool i find it fascinating in in, in hand in hand this is not something we're going to delve into because neither of us are psychologists. We've I've only yeah. done some cursory study of Jung, but but the hero's journey goes hand in hand with Jungian archetypes because jo- Joseph Campbell and Jung sort of fed off each other, basically. Like they they both really liked what each other was doing. I think Joseph Campbell really liked the idea of the uh, collective unconscious, which you know that's great i i love the idea of the collective unconscious i don't necessarily buy into it i don't really necessarily believe it but i like the idea of it for but for me the hero's journey has always been a framework it's it's basically here's this framework and these stories fit well within this framework and they're technically myths and the myths are usually trying to teach a point and that's i think that's the the clear emphasis Modern day storytelling doesn't have to have a point. There doesn't have to be a moral at the end of the story. <laughs> Sometimes the story is just the story itself. And and a lot of myths, that was sort of the point is they were trying to illustrate something. Yeah. Not necessarily convey some sort of morality or anything, but they're trying to con- convey an idea that was inherent to the well, society or a, a, inherent a to the society's idea. history. A physical idea, a historical idea, like that, like these, these stories were how, like they were how we could pass down knowledge in a way that people would remember before we could, before we could write. Yes. Before we could write. And even, and even after, and even after we could write, because, you know, you look at stories, uh, you will remember a story better than you will being told the same information, the same, the same important points. Yeah. But here, here's yeah. the, here's the thing, and, and this is something John and I actually talked about last week, actually. So there's the framework that the monomyth provides, but it's just a frame. It has no real substance in and of itself. 
and like a like the frame of a building until you fill it in it's just it's just the support beams for walls and shit and if the frame's big enough you can you can put anything in it <laughs> you can cram anything in it but the thing is as a house is very different from a church which is very different from a warehouse each yeah. building is fundamentally different which is what each kind of story you could tell is fundamentally different. And that frame that the hero's journey provides doesn't always fit for those other stories. And to try to cram them in, like, yes, you can convert a church into a house. I've seen it. (laughs) It's creepy. I had a friend who lived in it. It's really creepy. I've I've been in one that was a converted uh, converted church, and it's creepy. There's just, it was just a weird vibe there. It was, it was a creepy, it was a creepy house. The same with the warehouse. You can convert a warehouse into an apartment building. You can you can do that. It doesn't necessarily make sense to do that. Yeah. And, and it's just like try, trying to make every story fit the hero's journey doesn't make sense either. And I think that's the problem I have with it is it's become so popular to be like, well, this is this is the hero's journey because of X. Now, the Dark yeah. Crystal is the hero's journey. Like it's it's a textbook example of it. Uh, it doesn't hit all of the points, but it hits the major ones. It hits the most important ones. Um, the only thing I think it kind of fails at is the return because it sort of just ends with the apotheosis. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, um, like one of the points that they kind of have is that there's nowhere for them to return to. This is true. And this is true. I mean, at that point, the whole thing is, is so transformative. It's so like, so transformative in that show that saying, um, that, you know, saying that, oh, we'll just, you know, Swap it or like the oh it's just it's just the hero's journey there like the yeah it is right up until it's not and when it's not it becomes something else entirely. It's true, and that that's the case with most stuff that you try to throw in. The, yeah, uh, shoehorn the hero's journey in most comic book movies, especially the first one, especially yeah. that first yeah. origin stories, they fit the hero's journey just well, amazingly well. Yeah, but that's because they they're not being written. It's not it's not them taking the comic movie and saying, Oh, does this fit the hero's journey? It's like it's being informed by by what's already there. It's being informed by that framework. Yeah. It's just like with the original Star Wars, the the very first one, the, A New Hope. George Lucas used the hero's journey to write that fucking mm-hmm. thing. So of course it fits. It, it's <laughs> it's a tech it's a textbook hero's journey. Uh Kung Fu Panda, textbook hero's journey. Happy Gilmore, for some goddamn reason, textbook hero's journey. <laughs> It makes me happy that it is, though. Yeah, well, it, it does, but 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 I realized it was something that always bothered me about that show, is because it never yeah. felt quite like a comedy because it didn't have that sort of freedom, like that freedom and le- and like sort of freedom, but going into chaos, yeah. like because like the, the the comedy is opposed to tragedy. Comedy begins in chaos, and then ends up in order, but it's sort of like a a re a reaffirmation of the original of the original thing. Whereas like a tragedy yeah. starts in order and then ends in chaos. Yeah. And that's, and that's, that's one of those things that isn't, that isn't there in, in, in like the, that whole happy Gilmore thing, because at the end it's, it's pretty, pretty orderly. And I think, I think that's, that's one of the things that kind of kills me about thinking about the hero's journey this way and thinking of it as yeah. like the, the final go to say everything is, is that it, it makes it so that people don't play. They don't play with plot structure. They just kind yeah. of like, I, I even had, you know, like my, my professor for, for, for uh, playwriting. Like he was even like the, yeah, people, tr- people have tried other, you know, other story structures, but really it's the Aristotelian and the hero's journey and that's it. Yeah. 
And that being said, I myself, and I think John is too, if you're going I prefer the Aristotelian narrative structure myself. Yeah. Um, a plot, B plot, C plot, A, a plot, B plot, yeah. C plot. Like that, that is, it's the smoothest for me. Like to think about like whatever I introduce at the beginning, that's what I need to resolve at the end. Whatever I inter- yeah. introduce after that, I need to resolve before the like before the end, and then anything that happens in the middle has to sort of be resolved in the middle. Simple. See, and and for me, I I think I think of it as the, I think of it from a from a musical framework because I originally studied composition co- in college and at the university, yeah. and so I I look at it from the exposition, climax, uh, falling action sort of theme, because that is sort of how you would frame. A composition you start out with the exposition you have your rising action you have your climax your falling actions and your denouement it pairs very well with sonata structure in music yeah <laughs> because sonata structure you have your exposition you have your your development which basically explores the themes that you you introduced in your exposition and then you have your recapitulation which returns to those original themes. And so, and, and, and it, and it matches up very well with like, you know, you have original initial conflict free world in the, in the story conflict happens, your inciting action happens. All of this crazy shit goes on until the conflict is resolved. And then you return back to normal. Like it all goes hand in hand. Like (laughs) the music, the music is being as narrative in that way, just like, some of your 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 plot structures are but you know what music doesn't have as far as i can tell john what a hero's journey it does there's no hero's journey in music yeah well (laughs) there's no there's nothing so rigid like this in almost any other type of storytelling like in in visual storytelling in in the 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 oral storytelling um in in like what the the oral as in sound like the the music like music yes. storytelling um it's it's less it's not like this 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 rigid thing and i think and i think a lot of it um, is that like it makes good points it makes good points and it's really good as sort of like a series of flags to kind of sort of points of reference to check in with occasionally but yeah. to write that as if i write it this way i'm going to make a good story that's not good like yeah. that's not that's not how that's not how this works. So all of this being said, uh, I'm going to put throw this point and then let you f- add whatever you want to add to it. Then let's go back to the actual film. Um, with all that being said, uh, the hero's journey is super popular still. It's amazingly popular. If you go on, if you search YouTube. It, you'll get a thousand videos. Um, it's been repopularized uh, to some degree because of, uh, and I, I, hate, I hate to mention his name, Jordan P. B. Peterson, because he's very much into Jungian philosophy and archetypes. And just because of that and because of the relationship of the hero's journey, it's also, he's helped repopularize it uh, even more. Yeah. And so, if you go to YouTube and look up critiques of the hero's journey or critiques of Joseph Campbell, you're going to not find a lot of stuff and it's going to be years old if you do. Yeah. Um, articles, however, there's a lot of written stuff. There's a lot of written articles that have been 
a lot more written articles that have been written over the last five years on it. There's nothing wrong with the hero's journey. The only thing that's wrong is people trying to make it the end-all be-all of human narrative. And it's not. And, and I look at it this way. You have uh, this world that we live in, this life that we live, that is inherently meaningless. And I think John would agree, both of us are sort of absurdists. Yeah. There's just a raging absurdity to all of it. <laughs> there is no meaning. Shit happens that doesn't make any sense. And because exactly. human beings... Being, because human beings crave this order and this uh, to understand their world around them, it's really they come heroine. up with things. Yeah, they they come up with things like religion. They come up with cause and effect things that probably aren't true. Uh, I mean, that's one of the things science tells us whether or not it's, they are real or not. But the hero's journey is just another way to help understand this crazy ass world we live in. And if it helps, if it helps you. And be, by all means, stick to it, but but understand that not everything's going to fit it, and and understand that it's just a way to under, just a way to look at the world in a way that makes sense, and also realize that sometimes things just don't make fucking sense. So anything to and add to that, okay. John? Yes, it's okay with if something doesn't make sense, if something is chaotic and weird and absurd, like that's okay. Not everything needs to be tied up because when you have like in a story or or anything there, when you have everything tied up with this perfect bow, it feels wrong because we know deep down as human beings that that's not how things work. That's not how stories work. That's not how reality works. Yeah. You know, shit's crazy. Shit is chaotic. So that said, back to the Dark Crystal. This movie is something that you should probably, if you haven't watched it, then go fucking watch this film. It's That's an amazing, good it's an amazing movie, uh, especially considering what they did with the puppetry and stuff. Yeah. It's gorgeous it, to look at. It um, is. I mean, it, it is. Um, and I think we are moving on into our, yeah, into our final thoughts here. Okay. It is, it's Jim Henson's masterwork. Like. Yes, by far. Like he. I mean, his his love of puppetry, his visual storytelling. I mean, like, the, like I think we, we were we were talking before, um, for this about that when the emperor dies. Yeah, like you have no idea what, like you have no idea what's what's going on directly, but just watching there, not a, like very few words spoken, and you you can see that there's this visceral horror in this whole this whole thing this this whole thing there. Like it's yeah, it's. It's fantastic. Like, and well, like just the, the time with the Chamberlain where he has his robes ripped off, like that moment of that visual storytelling there is just, is mind blowing. It's mind boggling. Yeah. Brian Froud, Jim Henson, Frank Oz, and all of the puppeteers that worked on that movie did an astounding job. It was a feat that yeah, at the time was unheard of. Um, and hasn't really been recreated in any meaningful way until recently with the release of the Dark Crystal team series. Yeah. Well, and even and even and even the Dark Crystal series has a, a fair a fair amount of CG included in it. Yeah. I mean, I mean with maybe the exception of Labyrinth, which we will talk about someday soon. Yeah. Um the, there's not another that I can think of, there's not another film that does so much with puppetry uh as the Dark Crystal did. Um yeah. it's 
for, for my me, it's it's one of my favorite movies. It's still ranks as one of my favorite films. It's beautifully conceptual. It's yeah. it's takes you to a different world completely. And the fact that it's old, that's an older film, just adds to it now. Yeah, like, I mean, like I said, the, the only the only ultimate um, complaints I had was there there were a few times where if I didn't let myself be completely lost in the puppetry and the visuals, yeah, then I'd have a moment of uh, like the like, come on, this is this is, I mean, yeah, those are awesome puppets, but come on, dude, um, yeah, and and the the way they handled the narrator because it was sort of like. Conan style narrator and yeah. did, did, did <laughs> for he need a better narrator? <laughs> I'll be honest. For me that, that, uh, I don't know. For me, it works just because it's, yeah. it's, it has that, it dates the movie because it's decidedly like, that, like early eighties fantasy, you know, yeah. movie vibe. We don't trust but, you to understand what the fuck's going on. So we're going to have some asshole tell you. Well, here, here's the thing. Uh, if they didn't have the narrator with just what's there in the film, that movie would be very Lynchian almost. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. Because I think, they I think, don't. Yeah. I mean, it would still be visually compelling. It would still be a, a, an amazing film to watch, but it would, it would be one of those scenes like, well, what do you think this means? Well, what do you think that yeah. means? It'd be like, well, we'd, we'd be debating over what the hell. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think it's just, I have a, a personal preference for the more modern style of, folding the exposition into the first couple of scenes instead of just yeah. having like a data dump instead of just like the, the, the data dump uh, thing there. Yeah. No, no. And I, and I get that, but, but that being all of this being said, if you haven't seen the film, it's on Netflix, go watch it. And then if you like it, watch the series after that, even though the series is a prequel, you should watch, watch it, watch the film first, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, well, so here here's something I w- I will add. Now, I'm not necessarily um it's not really spoiling anything, but knowing how it ends with with their like normally normally there's the problem of prequel normally one of the main problems with prequels is if you know how it ends, then oh, I just know how it's going to end and so there's no stakes in anything. Yeah. But they play it they play it up where it's almost there's a tragic quality to a lot of this in the series and the movie that yeah. shows up when you watch them back to back because you know yeah. like see like like seeing all these gelflings knowing that they're going to die yeah seeing seeing the emperor doing everything he possibly can to keep him and his people alive. Yeah. And knowing that in the first five minutes of the, of the movie, he dies. Yeah. That there's a tragic quality to that. That is very compelling to me. That just absolutely hits that and is really, really fabulous. Well, and and for and, and and not just that, but with the film, you watch it and and you, there's just a lot of questions. There's still a lot of questions, even with the data dump at the very beginning, and the little bit of commentary that the Ursecs give at the end. Um, there's still a lot of questions, like you know, why is yeah, what 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 is the Ari? What what is Agra's purpose? What was the crystal yeah. for? Why are the Skeksis in the? You know, there's a lot of questions. Yeah. Well, like and exactly how exactly how did the Gelf, Gelflings get destroyed? Other than the Gartham showed up and did it, 
you know. And, so yeah, the, and so the the series, and and I kind of want to leave it. At the, I mean, I'll let, I'll let you finish your thought, but the series yeah. sort of endeavors to answer a lot of those questions. Um, yeah. In, in a satisfying way. So. Yeah, I, I, I agree. There, it, it does well. There is one thing that they that they don't that they don't uh, cover that, and it, it's more just me. Some of it's me overthinking. But if you're yeah. listening to this podcast, you know that that's what I do. That is literally what I do. What I bring to this podcast is overthinking things. Shut yeah. up. Um, and and and, with, and then after this, we we should wrap it up. So okay. The the what's it the, the name of the fuse the name where they're fused back together. Your six. Your six. Yeah. Yeah. Those dudes, what the fuck? <laughs> they just leave, like, they just get to like leave and like ah no like we just completely destroyed <laughs> this planet. Yeah, and you know what? We're just gonna fuck off to space because well, it's just time for us to fuck off to space. <laughs> never mind that like never mind the fact that we have all this like weird Skeksis technology and mystics magic. And maybe we could do something like, I don't know, alleviate some of the horrible genetic abominations that are going to come out when you guys start to breed. <laughs> uh, but see, that's nah, what I want. We need to go. I... And it's like the Skeksis, with the exception of the ones that die, they're never really punished for any of the bad shit that happens. That, that happens. No, <laughs> and then yeah. if you look at the mystics, like, like yeah, they're the good guys, and you look at them, and they're just like, oh man, you see, they got they got those those soft faces, and they're they're gentle, and like they're these gentle pacifists, and like oh, it's like they're the best in mankind. It's like if those slothful motherfuckers did nothing, genocide occurred, and they were just like, well, well, I mean, but but they're you know, doing man, it, this so might be better yeah. if we talked about it in in the next episode. <laughs> I'm I'm bringing it up because it it it. It does come up. It does come up in that one, but th this is this is directly dealing with the end of the the end of the thing. Yeah, because like the mystics really don't do like the mystics do nothing and then walk and then walk to the the castle. Yeah, that is what they do entirely. Um, I, there will be different points made during the during the next episode, but that's what happens in this movie. It's true, and so they 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 are guilty of inaction. They're guilty of yes. sloth of of some sort of slothful inaction. Whereas yes. the Skeksis and, and and the Skeksis just actively destroyed, raped the planet, um, started literally eating people's souls. Yes. But when they when they combine again, but these these two halves, like the ones that did, like the ones that sat and did nothing, because you know all it takes for evil to prevail is how did that go again? Um, um, all and it, the I'll, all it all it takes is for evil to reveal us for good people to do nothing. I, yeah, <laughs> I was I was trying to be I was I was trying to be sarcastic. Um, no. Yeah, how did that go again? Uh, that's not my sarcasm voice. I'm gonna forget about no. it right after I said that. But that was my sarcasm voice. Anyway, um, yeah. <laughs> But you know, like so, so them they 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 do bad. The Skeksis do all of the horrible shit that they've done. But because now they've fu but now they've fused together. Like this is goddamn Dragon Ball Z. It's fine. We're good. Everything's okay. We're gonna fuck off to space now. And that is all there is. Hooray! Yeah. All right. Well, that does it for the show. <laughs> Wait. Are are you eating tacos? Yeah, I didn't want to eat that. Like, I didn't want to eat that.
Relevant to Our Interests is hosted by John Felliston and Frank Shaw. Produced and edited by Frank Shaw. The music arranged by Frank Shaw. Scripting by John Belliston and Frank Shaw. Graphic design by Frank Shaw and Nathan Newell. You can contact us at relevanttourinterests at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and what used to be Twitter. John and Frank are on many other social media platforms. Hit us up. You can listen to us everywhere you listen to podcasts.